You know, we feed those that we care about across cultures, times, places. We feed those that we care about and those that we are closest with. When a child is born into the world, what do we spend most of our time doing? Moms, you know this. We spend most of our time feeding our children. Right now, we're in a stage where my son James, who's a year and a half, doesn't really want to eat anything but cheese. And so we try to put various things in front of him, and he just goes, cheese, and points into the kitchen and screams and yells and throws things until we bring him cheese, right? We spend so much time feeding our children. When we have people over, what do we always do? We always have food because we feed those we care about. When we see someone on the side of the road or a child in need, where does our heart immediately go? We ask the question, do they have enough food? When we see one of our teenagers whose body is ravaged by uh, an eating disorder, what do we long for them to have? The food their body needs. Those that we care about, we feed. Those that we care about, we want to have enough food because we recognize that outside of food, you can't have life. Today, we're continuing our sermon series on discipleship, where we've been talking about finding our identity as the beloved of Jesus. That as we find our identity as the beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, our identity becomes rooted and grounded in who we are as his beloved. And before we move on to any action of what a disciple does, which we're going to look at in the second half of this series, we first have to ground our identity in who we are. And we've given a a brief definition of what it means to be the beloved of God. It means to be a chosen child of God, blessed, broken, resurrected, and fed. Today, I want to look at that last word, fed, that our God has seen us in our spiritual hunger, and he has chosen to feed us. He has chosen to give us everything that we need for life. He hasn't turned a deaf or a blind eye or a deaf ear to our cries for food, but he has given us the nourishment that our souls are longing for. And so today what I want to do is look at one of the most complex and glorious passages in all of scripture, John chapter 6. And we're going to look at John chapter 6 verse 35, then we're going to skip ahead to 41 through 59. I'm going to read it in its totality because it's complicated. And here we see that Jesus is proclaiming that he is the bread of life, that the only way to have eternal life is if you feed upon him. And yet this is one of the most perplexing passages in all of scripture. In fact, this is the point where massive numbers of people just left him. Like this is way too hard. We can't do this. And they abandoned him. And yet our life and our eternal life hangs upon the reality that we need to eat. Our souls need nourishment. And the nourishment of the soul is God himself. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the Jews grumbled Uh, about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets 
and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. That's incredibly obvious what Jesus is talking about there, isn't it? I mean, no one has ever in the history of the church debated what is going on in this passage, even a little bit. I mean, even the disciples completely understood what was occurring. Well, let's dissect it together. Today, I'm gonna have to ask you, implore you, beg you to put on your theologians' hats. Today's a culture day at Trinity. And one of our uh, joys at Trinity is that we believe that theology matters, but theology matters as it draws us nearer to our Lord Jesus Christ. So my goal every Sunday is to have you think and cry. That's, that's always there. So that probably just shows my personality of what I want to hear on Sunday words. I want to think and cry. Right? So here's what Jesus is saying. Remember that manna in the wilderness? Israel has been delivered out of Egypt. They've gone through the Dead Sea. They're traveling towards the promised land, this great image of death and resurrection. And God gives them food, this manna from heaven. But it can only sustain them for a brief period of time. That's what food does. We ingest it. We burn it up in our stomachs and it produces caloric impact and our cells are driven and we can move our bodies for a brief period of time. But all your forefathers died. But the food that if you eat it, you will live forever is the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, what on earth is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the only way to have eternal life is if you eat me. Now, I, we ought to ask a question here. What is food? And why does Jesus use the analogy of food to talk about eternal life? Now, we've talked about this, but that was ages ago. Food is something that is outside of us that comes into us to give us life. Food is something that is outside of us, that comes into us, that gives us life. But food, at least earthly food, can only give you so much energy. It only has so much life in itself. You know, think about it like, you know, logs on a fire. At some point, they become ash, 
so too the manna in the wilderness at some point burned out and the people of God needed more food. But there's one source of food and only one that doesn't go out. There's one source of food and only one that has eternal, abundant energy and life that does not come into existence, does not pass out of existence, does not have diminishing existence. And there's only one of that. And that's God himself. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, listen, the only way that you can have eternal life is if God himself sustains your life eternally. And oh yeah, by the way, that's me. John 1, this passage that we come back to all of the time because it's one of the most clarifying passages in all the scripture reveals this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It, he was with God in the beginning. All things were made, how? Through him. The one who is life himself can give life. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was what? Was life. And the life was the light of men. We've hit this theme over and over again because it's woefully deficient in popular theology. God is himself being. God is being himself. You know, a phrase that we often use is God is a being. And that's fine because we're always searching for words to describe God, but he is not a being. He is not a being among beings. He is being because he is life. He is the one whose very nature is to exist. You and I come into existence, we pass out of existence. At one time we were not, now we are. He is. And therefore the only one who can sustain you into eternity is God himself. Because think about it for a minute. We often say we have eternal souls. That's half true and half untrue. It is true that our soul will last forever. But if God ever removes himself from that equation, you're done. Your soul does not eternally exist independently. Your soul, your life, your resurrected body in the new heavens and the new earth will always be sustained by the one who is. The law of thermodynamics is true in the created universe, and it is not true, or second law, I mean. The things are winding down. Things don't wind down for God. They are at 11 all the time. So what Jesus is saying here, if you wanna have eternal life, come to me, because it's the only place where you can get it. Now, this naturally leads to the next question. <sighs> what does it mean for us to eat God? That's a strange saying, right? He literally says, if you want to live forever, you know, come, come, and, come and eat my flesh and drink my blood because, you know, by the way, I'm God. That's weird, right? It almost feels sacrilegious to say that we could eat God. But if you think about it for a minute, different kinds of things eat different sorts of things in different kinds of ways. I told you you're gonna have to keep your hat on because I'm not the world's best explainer, all right? So think about it, right? 
I don't know how this works. I'm not a scientist. Somehow or another, plants eat the sun. You ever think about that? Photosynthesis, plants eat the sun, right? Some plants eat flies and stuff, and they just like slime them up, and then they dissolve and all that. That's weird, right? I thought you're supposed to eat the sun. Why does this plant not eat the sun? I guess he eats the sun and flies. All right, then we, we eat plants and we eat animals, right? Well, one day we'll only eat plants. Okay, fair enough, but for now we eat plants and animals. They come into us, we burn them up, caloric content. Okay, moving forward. But what does the soul eat? The soul, it would appear in the Psalms, feasts upon God himself, Psalm 84.2 says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy for the living God. Our heart longs, faints for the Lord. Then Psalm 63 describes it even more clearly. Psalm 63.1, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. And then verse five says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Different things eat different kinds of things in different ways. And the human soul was created to feast upon God himself. And the human soul will starve, dehydrate, and die when it is cut off from the food that it craves. We were made for God's presence. We were made for fellowship with him. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he put them in the garden with an abundance of food and said, eat anything you want. Just don't these two trees, not these two trees, but anything else, it's all yours. Have you ever thought about it? We tend to think that food is a result of the fall, being hungry, but it's not. God actually made us to want food. We tend to think that way because we live in a fallen world where the ground is cursed and food is short and scarce, right? But God made us to long for something outside of us, to come into us, to give us life. And he gave that to Adam and Eve in abundance with all of the food of the garden and with his unmediated presence. That was the great grief of being cast out of the garden, was there was now a veil between humanity and God. Our soul longs, even faints, to be with God. And where do we see God? Where has he chosen to make himself present to us? Where has he chosen to say, if you want me, here I am, in the person of Jesus Christ? Have you wondered, like, why isn't Jesus just, just say, you know, feast upon God? He doesn't say that. He says, feast upon my flesh and my blood. Because what is he saying? The one place where God makes himself available to his people. The one place where he lays out a banquet, a feast of his presence is in his son. God himself wrapped in human flesh and even more, clothed in the gospel. When we go to our Lord Jesus Christ, what do we see? 
We don't just see God, you know, in this ambiguous notion of God. We see God who sent his very son to die for us. God who came to redeem us. God who loves us unconditionally. The human soul doesn't just long for a vague notion of God. The human soul longs for the God who has chosen to covenant with his people, even to the point of dying for them. John 6, 53 through 56 says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. There is no back door to God. There is no other path to the one who is the source of life. Jesus is saying here, if you want to feast upon God, it's only by my body and my blood. But thanks be to God, that is the way he offers himself to us, the one who loved us so much that he laid down his very life to give us life. Some of y'all know I like this guy named John Calvin. He lived and died a long time ago. Uh, but Calvin, he would talk a lot about, you know, his primary goals were always clarity and brevity. Uh, and he was good at brevity. I'm not good at brevity. I'm supposed to be done in two minutes. All right. Um, but he threw that out the window in his commentary on John 6. His commentary on John 6 just keeps going and going and going because it's the best part of all of his theology, full stop. It is. If you have time to read his commentary on John chapter 6, it's incredible. And, you know, I've gathered so much from it over the years. I've read it and annotated it a lot for my dissertation. I don't know if it's ever going to make it in there, but I have. But most of the time, it's just devotionally. And he points out really two things, two images that he uses over and over again in this beautiful passage, John 6. Is that first, in the person of Jesus Christ, we see a channel, a well, the pump at the end of a well, where all the glorious divinity of God is brought to the surface and revealed to us in a way that we can actually comprehend. There is no way to see God just as God. God has chosen to mediate his presence, show us his beauty, show us his heart, which is for what? Pity and mercy in his son, Jesus Christ. If your soul is hungry, See your blessed Savior who broke his body and poured out his blood for you. That's what your soul's longing for. That's what your heart is desiring. If you feel famished and dehydrated, go to the one who poured out his life on your behalf. But then secondly, he comments that clearly, clearly, um, we see in verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and, and I in him. So what's going on here? He's talking about faith. The mouth of the soul is faith. The way that the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus and brings Jesus into our very heart is when we grasp him in faith. The way the human beings receive God Feast upon God is to see Jesus with the eyes of faith. 
And my prayer for you is that you gaze upon Jesus, that he would stir your heart to greater faith, that he truly loves you. You know, for the past few weeks, as we've been talking about finding our identity as the beloved of Jesus, I've given you some permission to, to reframe sin in your life. A few weeks ago, we looked at sin as the place we try to find comfort, right? Uh, last week, we looked at sin as the, as the place that we try to find meaning and purpose. And today, I want to encourage you to ask a question. All of us have hunger in our soul. All of us have a hunger in our heart, and we can't get our hands around it. We can't name it. We know that it's there. It stirs within us. And so often, we try to satiate that desire, that hunger in our heart with the things of this world. And those things never satisfy you. At the very heart of addiction is what? You always stay hungry. At the heart of finding our purpose in this world with our job or our appearance or how many things we have, it always keeps us what? Hungry. There's billions of dollars poured into modern marketing to keep you dissatisfied so you stay hungry. And yet the things of this world never satisfy you. What are the things, what is that desire in your heart that is being perverted into sin? What are you trying to satisfy in yourself? That is the very place where Jesus wants to invite you to him. That is the very place where Jesus is saying, come to me and drink fully. Come to me and be filled what is that place you are seeking in the things of this world to find satisfaction? Jesus begs you, come to him, feast upon him, and be satisfied. Now, in three minutes, I want to just point out two ordinary ways Jesus does this. Two ordinary ways Jesus says, come to me and feast. And the first is the reading of God's holy word. Most of you can predict the passage I'm going to read, Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where do we, just in an ordinary way, commune with Jesus? The word speaks by the Spirit through his written word. And Jesus is truly there, revealing himself to you, showing you himself in the fullness and glory of his gospel is not opposed to you, not distant from you, but for you. And yet I wonder how many of us skip that basic meal every day. You know, we think, well, I don't really get a ton out of it every time. And, you know, my mother's an amazing cook. I almost remember none of her meals. And as a child, I didn't appreciate them at all. I've apologized profusely since then. But so often we treat the scripture the same way. We skip it. Because often we say, well, it's not as filling as I'd like it to be today. But the reality is we need daily food. We need God to commune with us daily. And he does that in his written word. And the second point I want to make quickly in one minute is this. Clearly, John chapter 6 is a physical image of what we do every Sunday at the table. 
This is a foretaste of the heavenly banquet, the foretaste of the banquet that will have no end where Jesus will feed us with his presence and hold us up eternally. The human soul will never be hungry in the new heavens and the new earth because the human soul will always have a feast laid before them in the presence of Jesus Christ. And every Sunday, we get to experience a feast together as we experience the word of God proclaimed in the Eucharistic service. As Jesus gathers together his people for a feast and he tells them his story again. As we serve one another in the table fellowship, And as we come together to hear, I love you so much, I broke my body for you. I love you so much, I poured out my blood for you. This is why we celebrate the Eucharist every week. Because every week our souls come hungry, looking to be fed. And every week our Savior says, come and feast upon me. Family, would you remember to come to the feast? Would you remember to come and feast together? Your soul is hungry and Jesus will never, ever withhold you from his food. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have chosen to feed us. Lord, would we open up our hands to receive. Spirit, thank you that you are the one that brings us to the presence of our Savior. Would you open our eyes and give us the eyes of faith to see him? And Father, we thank you that you have chosen to redeem us and bring us into life with yourself. Lord, we thank you for all of your grace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.